Turn once again with me to Psalm 119. I would encourage you to go online and listen to the or review the previous three weeks' messages on the topic of suffering. Ed and Paul and Bob have given us excellent teaching to consider on the subject. And the subject of suffering and affliction is a broad and far-reaching topic. Therefore, we have the ability to have four different sermons, and there may be some small overlap, but there is, through the, the diverse nature of Scripture, there's, there's the ability to come from different angles, and we're going to do that this morning. We'll come from a different angle, shed a light on this particular topic through Psalm 119 in a way that we haven't seen before. I'm going to read it again, and I would encourage you to follow along, Psalm 119, verse 153. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Let's go to prayer one more time. Father, we ask for your grace, and may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you. May the word be alive to us as it is in its reality. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. By way of introduction, I want to point out that though we've had three messages on this subject, and today will be the fourth, it doesn't mean necessarily that we have a large and daunting time of affliction and suffering about to descend upon us like the plague. And I think you can sit there and listen four in a row, Lord, you're trying to tell us something big's going to come. And, and not to say that God won't have something coming in life, but I think there's something to consider when, about the topic, topic of uh, suffering and affliction. And it has struck me that this topic, as it probably has struck you as well, that this topic of suffering affliction is oftentimes categorized in our mind. And we put over here all the bad things. Uh, cancer, or the loss of a loved one, or a car accident, or loss of a job, or um, something big that would happen in life that's kind of outside of the normal. Um, may break up in a marriage, a child rebels, um, whatever it would be, terminal, a chronic illness that just goes on, and those are those are over here, and we kind of categorize them as if those are the things that, after four messages on suffering, God's going to bring one of those things, and we all kind of wait in fear and trembling. When in reality, I think the topic of suffering is much more in the commonalities of life. And it's just the small things that happen on a day-to-day basis, the small stresses of life, some of them slightly bigger than others, that really are mainly what is talked about, or what we can refer to when when we describe suffering. And I think there's obviously a reason for that. That is, 
Because of sin, and the men before me the last three weeks have done an excellent job of describing this, because of sin, suffering is going to be an everyday occurrence for us. And it's how we, it's how we interact with that, it's how we react to that suffering that oftentimes is a great witness to the world around us. So the Lord wants us to get a biblical view of suffering, if for no other reason, than as you're going through life and something happens that's you know, slightly different than you would want to happen, or stress comes along, or you're fatigued, how you respond is oftentimes the witness that the Lord is looking for. So, not to say that the Lord won't bring something uh, along, but I think even more applicable is the Lord wants us to have really a strong understanding of just how to deal with the day-to-day stuff, the day-to-day difficulties of, of life. Also, by way of introduction, I would say that we, we don't need to approach suffering um, from the direction of, well, if God is, if this is part of life and God's called me to share in the sufferings of Christ, then I should just, you know, dive in with both feet and get as much suffering as I can. It's this sort of fatalistic piety of, you know, if a little's good, then it might as well just bash myself. Now, I, don't, I don't think that's in Scripture. In fact, I think you could make a strong case against that. I think there's a um, an aspect of life that in the in just the normal day-to-day happenings, if you can avoid some suffering by just just the general direction of things, do that. You know, if you have a headache and you want to take an aspirin, that's fine. You know, if you you don't have to sit there and suffer through it. There, there's there's God gives us the grace to avoid some of those things. Now, that that doesn't give us license to go out and spend all our energy and time and resources on just uh, avoiding difficulties in life. We aren't called to do that. But there is certainly the the time there or the grace there to, in just the natural course of events, to avoid difficulties or maybe lighten them up as possible. I think that would be a wise and good decision. So not to say that as we come to this topic again, you either need to expect something big is going to happen in your life. Uh, I do think we need to be prepared for that. And we prepare for that by dealing with the common uh, things of life, difficulties of life, uh, as common as they are, I guess. But then also to understand that, hey, if the Lord's brought something in life and we could make a slight shift and just the general course, make that slight shift. I don't think there's anything that would be against that. In Psalm 119 this morning, we're going to ask ourselves four questions about this text. Four questions. And two of the four questions, or two of the four answers, are found in this text. Two are found outside the text in Scripture. But two of them are found in this text. And here's the four questions, and then we'll go through them. Question number one, and these are the order we'll take them this morning, was what is the cause of suffering? What is the cause of suffering? And there's obviously more than one. And that specific, the answer to that specific question is not found in this text. But we can see that in Scripture. The second question would be, what are some of the wrong responses we are tempted to exhibit when under suffering? When suffering comes into our life, Satan tempts us. He makes it a little more difficult. He tries to distract us with that, temp- that suffering. What are some of the things we're tempted to exhibit? Wrong responses to that suffering. That would be question number two. Question number three, the answer also on this one not being found in 153 would be, how does God deliver us from suffering? 
How does God deliver us from suffering? And number four, the answer being found in 153 through 160 would be question number four. What assurance do we have that God is aware of our suffering and working upon our behalf? And that's the culmination, obviously, of of our time this morning. Is if suffering is in many ways unable to be avoided, there's got to be something some sort of assurance, some sort of rock, some sort of anchor that we can ground ourselves on that gets us through those difficult times. So let's begin by looking at verse 153 as the opening verse of this text, and this would be the central theme of all eight of these verses. Look on my affliction, and, or you could say, look on my suffering and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. We have four statements and the corresponding uh, request in these eight verses, 153 through 160. And all four of the requests are directed toward God. And all of them are subsets or part of this 153. And let me just make note of them. We'll we'll address them toward the end, but I want you to kind of see them at the beginning to begin to see how all this fits together. In 153, we have, look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Now look at 154. Plead my cause, redeem me, give me life according to your promise. Notice that give me life according to your promise. Now look at 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Almost the exact word for word. Give me life according to your rules. Those two verses are connected. And then the the fourth statement is in 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Notice again, give me life according to your steadfast love. Those three are connected. And you can connect the fourth by understanding this this word, um, deliver me, in 153. That would be translated as uh, revive me or rescue me. And if you took, uh, it's translated as rescue me, whereas if you took give me life, those three words, it would be translated as quicken me, or revive me. So if you took revive me, quicken me, give me life, and you corresponded them with revive me, or rescue me, you see how all four of those verses are very closely related. And it's because all of them go around this theme of affliction and suffering. Now I note that, and because I, I want that to be in the back of your mind, and I want you to observe the familiarity between these four verses on the theme of suffering and affliction because it's going to be sort of the framework we're going to work around. Let's consider this word affliction or suffering. Let's get a definition of that and some examples both of common and less common afflictions or sufferings in our lives today. Uh, It would simply mean a a misery. Affliction could mean suffering. Merriam-Webster would define it as something such as a disease that causes pain or suffering. So it can be the object of something that causes you suffering. Affliction would be that. The state of being affected by something that causes suffering. Now the next question we have to ask is, what does that look like? What sort of things in life do we consider as suffering? And we could both collaborate on an extensive list, and I'll put some out there for your thoughts. But let me say that they're multidimensional, suffering is. It's rarely 
just one aspect of your life. Rarely do you get a, just a physical suffering that doesn't also have a component in the spiritual, in the emotional, in the mental side of things. And sometimes you don't have the physical suffering, but maybe you have the emotional and the spiritual. Or maybe you have physical suffering that happens for such a long time that emotional and an emotional aspect enters into the fray, enters into the time of suffering, where you've gone for such a period of time, it just begin to weigh on you mentally and emotionally. So it's multidimensional. So as I list through these, you can certainly see how uh, they would take on different characteristics in your life, different uh, effects would happen to your life because of them. Here are a few things. Physical aches and pains, chronic illness, a short or long-term sickness, like the flu, a debilitating malady, financial challenges, business pressure, relationship difficulties, communication problems, marriage trouble, parent-child stress, fatigue or exhaustion, slander, temptation, unfounded criticism, which is obviously different than well-constructed criticism, unkept promises, unfulfilled expectations, unrealistic requests, death of a loved one or friend, miscarriage, unexpected news, a guilty conscience, strongholds, bad habits, big decisions to be made, waiting on a marriage partner, birth defects, injuries, grief, loss, failure, loneliness. And obviously the list could go on and on and on. These are things we battle. Most of those are the ones that we battle in everyday life. These would be the things that we would struggle against and fight against to maintain our proper focus on God and His agenda for our lives. That's always, been, that's always the pull. And I think um, we would all agree that there are very few of these that are uncommon. Most of them are just the common aspects of life. Therefore, it is imperative that we understand suffering from a biblical perspective. So, by way of introduction, there's a sort of an overview of what is affliction and suffering. Let's ask our first question, which is, what is the cause of of suffering. First question, what is the cause of suffering? NANC, which is now known as ACBC, uh, is going on these next two months, and it happened earlier this month, and I was able to go last year and able to go this year, and Dr. Keith Palmer was one of the gentlemen that spoke at the track I was following this year, and he gave a comprehensive understanding of suffering. He gave, uh, it would be six things, six reasons, five reasons why suffering occurs. And I, and I wholeheartedly agree with these, and I think you will as well. Let's look at these. A, or number one, causes of suffering, is suffering is caused because of personal sin. Suffering is caused because of personal sin. If someone gets angry, uh, he, a friend of mine who does repairs in homes told me a story one time of having to repair continuously this one certain home who always had holes in their sheetrock. Well, that was because the children would get angry and punch a hole through the sheetrock. Well, I've, I don't know about you, but that hurts when you punch sheetrock. 
So after a period of paying this gentleman to come fix the sheetrock, the father decided, we can fix this problem. Next time you put up the sheetrock, would you put a sheet of plywood behind that sheetrock? Well, they suffered the consequences of their anger. Their hand hurt if it was not broken. So there's, there's, there's some consequences to our sin. And, and obviously, how do you relieve yourself from the suffering of personal sin? Well, you repent from your sin. That doesn't guarantee, however, that you will not have to suffer under the consequences of some of those sins. Suffering because of personal sin. Number two, cause of suffering. Suffering because of the sin of others. Now, this one's a tough one. This one's a tough one. Because of someone else's sin... I have to suffer. That, that is one that is very difficult to grasp. And therefore the question happens, why? Why, God, would you cause me to have to deal with this? Number three, suffering because of a fallen world. Suffering because of a fallen world. This one's difficult to understand as well. Why do we have to get sick? Why, if I eat all the right things, exercise the right amount, do everything they tell me to do, and I still get sick? Why is that? When sometimes things just happen just because, that would fall into this category. Sin, suffering because of a fallen world. How about, number four, suffering because of satanic or demonic activity? That's not one that we're very familiar with, or at least not as well recognized in the United States of America. But if you go outside the United States of America, this is a well-known concept. And it certainly happens in America, we just don't recognize it as much. But that would be certainly a cause for suffering. How about suffering because of divine judgment? Suffering because of divine judgment, number five. Now, if you're a Christian, you won't have the divine judgment aspect of it because your judgment was taken upon the cross of Christ. However, if there is someone near you that is not a believer and is experiencing God's divine judgment, or we would say his love, his mercy acted out, then you may then get the overlap, which would be going back to number two and number three, suffering because of the sin of others or suffering because of a fallen world. So you may not experience number five, suffering because of God's divine judgment, but you might get some of the overlap that goes around there. And we would also note that not all suffering is the result of personal sin or divine discipline. That's an important one. If you're suffering, I encourage you, go and seek the Lord and find if there's sin in the camp that needs to be getting, gotten rid of. Or Lord, are you trying to show me something that's wrong? But if over a period of time and wise counsel and seeking the Lord, due diligence upon your part, He's not revealed something, then you can be confident that this is... Maybe two and three, sin of others or suffering because of a fallen world. That would be the first question. What is the cause of suffering? Second question, which is the answer is found in 119, 153 through 160 is, what are some of the wrong responses we are tempted to exhibit when under suffering? What are some of the wrong responses we are tempted to exhibit when under suffering? When under affliction, we are often assailed uh, by the enemy to the sin of unbelief. And that's clear in scripture. And there are five such temptations here in 153 through 160. And let's look at those. Number one, uh, at least one of the five, there's 
probably plenty of others we could look at. But one of the five temptations found here in 153 is God is not looking. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Well, if you do not forget God's law, then you would obviously know God's seeing everything. You would know Psalm 44, 21, for he knows the secrets of the heart. You would know, whether shall I flee from my presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Psalm 139, 7-8. If you did not forget God's law, you would get this. But what's the temptation here? God doesn't see this one. I'm acting all, something's happening to me kind of out on this island. And God doesn't see this. And that's a realistic temptation to think. God, you're so busy with everything else. You know, maybe you know a couple people who are really suffering. Maybe they're in a difficult marriage. Or maybe they've got just tremendous financial difficulty. And you're over here going, Lord, I just want, to, I just want healing from the flu. This hurts. Oh, but God, there's no way you could be looking at me on this one and helping me out because you've got bigger things to take care of. Isn't that the temptation sometimes? God is not looking. Well, what's the truth? The truth is obviously what we see in Scripture. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Jeremiah 16.17 For mine eyes are upon all their ways and they are not hid from my face. Neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. We take this magnificent God who we're unable to comprehend and we bottle him down into you say you're all-knowing and all-powerful. But this one might be outside of your abilities. The story is told of a distraught father who lost his son. And he goes to his pastor and says, Pastor, where was God when my son died? And the pastor in his wisdom said, God was right where he was when his son died. God is well aware of our suffering. He sees it as much as he sees us when we're not in suffering. That would be the first temptation. God is not looking. Second one is found in 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. This thought of my cause doesn't matter. Now, I struggle with this one. The answer to the catechism question we've been going over is why did God make you in all things? And the answer being for his own glory. And I understand that God is sovereign over all things. But then my, my mind battles with this thought. If God is sovereign over all things and he is about the business of his own glory, where do I have a say in the matter? And what I, does my cause mean anything? If that's what God is about. Well, shouldn't I be about God's cause? Yes, the answer is. But here we have the psalmist saying, plead my cause. Well, who's he, ple who's he pleading to? Who's he asking God to plead to? God is preeminent over all things. Why is he asking God to plead his cause? To who would he plead toward? We'll get that answer in just a moment. But I think when, we, when I have that thought, or if you have that thought along with me, that my cause really does not matter in this, and I just must buckle down and do this, and I feel almost guilty asking God to deliver me, then we're missing a key aspect of our relationship with God, and that's the Abba Father aspect, that He loves us, and that He's intimately concerned with us, and that His cause is that we would be most happy in Him. Because as Piper says, then He's most glorified. So he is very much about our cause. Because if it's outside of his will, he wants to direct it to him. 
And if it's in his will, it's his cause. He very much wants us to know. He is, it is not as if he is absent-minded about this or unable to sympathize with us. We know that according to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. He's certainly been there. He's suffered under affliction. He struggled. He knows we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in, notice, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And, and he's provided us with the Holy Spirit, hasn't he? Who, when we have difficulty, and when you're under an intense time of suffering, it can be difficult to pray at times. God, I don't even know what to pray. I, I, I'm just exhausted. I, don't, I can't pray. And that's when you ask, plead my cause. Because you're asking the Holy Spirit to do what he says he's going to do, which is to go to the Father and plead your cause. Groanings that cannot be uttered. How about temptation number three? Found in 155. Salvation is from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. The temptation of everyone else seems to have it so well. Look at those people. They're doing all the bad things, and yet life seems to be going just great for them. The temptation of comparison. And this is a tough one. The temptation to believe that someone somehow obtained the free pass to do something and they didn't have to get any suffering or punishment from it. And they're out there doing their own thing and somehow they just keep getting away with just thing after thing after thing. And, and here I am seeking to honor the Lord and, and yet I'm having to go through this tough time. Why me? I'm not doing anything they're doing. But what's the truth? The truth is there are no free passes. That would be a misunderstanding of the suffering servant of Christ. He died for all of those sins. And those that do not know him will experience the divine judgment. Because God as a just God must gain penalty for sin. Whether by his son Jesus Christ or by eternity in hell the truth we see there, obviously, in 155, salvation is far from the wicked. You've got to remind yourself of the truth here. Salvation is far from the wicked. They may look good now, but it's far from them. And then if you apply the antithetical thinking of, if one thing is that way, the opposite, then that means I am, as the righteous, being made righteous by Christ, I am near salvation. It is close to me. How about Galatians 6, 7? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Hebrews 4, 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows it all. There's no free passes. And you may look over there and see, man, they're just having such an easy time. You're, you're fighting that sin of comparison. But then a year or two down the road, you're talking to them and you find out that a year or two earlier, when you were comparing with them, they were going through one of the most difficult times in life and you had no clue that was happening. Fourth, temptation. We've looked at God is not looking. My cause doesn't matter. The temptation to, to compare. And number four, it's found in 157. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries. This temptation that God, you've given me too much. This is just too many things at once. I can't 
I can't hold it. I'm just going to have to give in. And this sometimes happens when we're, when we're suffering and fighting in the battle of sin. And going, God, I, I just can't do this anymore. I have fought this. And I'm just going to have to give in. That's the only way that I see to just to get past all of this difficulty. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is very much a temptation aspect in suffering. And suffering is certainly not isolated from the enemy's weaponry of seeking to kill and destroy. And so he will bring about, he will use whatever he can. Number five, found in 158. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Well, there's two aspects of this verse and we're going to focus on the second one. The first one could be very much this thought of, uh, if you do not, if you love Christ, you must hate your brother, your sister, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, your dog, all those things. And we know that that's talking about comparatively, God must be over and above everything else. And in that comparison, it almost seems as everything else is hate. We know that we're not to hate our brother. We're actually, we know we're supposed to love our enemies. But we're going to look at the second aspect of that, which would be this. The temptation being, I'm growing bitter towards others. There could be very much a thought line in this when you're under affliction. I hate or I loathe or I despise those who are not doing what they should be doing. Or those who are doing what they should be doing and are not having to suffer like I do. That's a temptation. Grow bitter toward others. And this one is often the, the one of the five that we mentioned so far that the, is the most internalized. And you're probably not going to see this one unless you really get in deep with someone about what they're going through. Is this struggle of, oh, why, if I'm going to have to suffer, then, you know, you should be suffering too. And no one would say that, of course. But it's, that, it's a thought inside. And that's where we've got to understand, hey, I'm thinking too highly of myself than I ought to think. Why can't I humble myself? Why can't I look at others and desire that they be not having to suffer that I do? Paul did, this. Paul did this. Hey, I'd be glad to share in the sufferings of Christ if this exalts his name and builds the church. That should be our attitude as well. Let me just say in um, passing here about a ministry you might have or uh, will have in, with someone who is suffering that one of the best things that I have heard said that one can do under a time of suffering when you're ministering to someone is to take them to the Psalms and help them identify, and it can be, that can be done many ways, but help them identify with the language of expressing your pain and suffering. And the psalmist does this three times in the text. He does it in 154, plead my cause. He does it in 157, many are my persecutors and my adversaries. And he does it in 158. A look at the faithless with disgust. And we have to be careful that we're not somehow justifying our sin in expressing um, our pain and suffering. Because with many words, there is sin. And if you're uh, struggling with a bitterness and you just want to let all that bitterness out and just vent to someone, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is uh, if you are under a time of intense 
suffering, or maybe it's not even tense. You're just struggling with a time of suffering. There is a time and a place for sitting down with a spiritual mentor or a pastor or a close friend or a parent and expressing to them what you're going through in order that they might help you realign your mind with the truth. If you're kind of going over here in some of your, your thoughts, they can help bring you back. We've already talked about that it can be very difficult to pray. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Well, when you go to someone else, they can help you express to God and to others around you what you're going through and how to help you. And they can be praying for you. So in there's a, there's a great knee here. The Psalms very much do a good job of just helping you get the verbiage of how to express the suffering infliction to others and ultimately toward God, which the psalmist does here. That was uh, the second question. We went through the second question. What assurance... Sorry. Second question being, what are some of the wrong responses we are tempted to exhibit when under suffering? The third question is, how does God deliver us from suffering? How is God going to deliver you from suffering? And does God deliver us? And will God rescue us? And I think that there are four ways, at least, that we can see in Scripture that God delivers or rescues those that are suffering. And as I've said, suffering is multidimensional, so the deliverance is probably going to be multidimensional as well. Here's number one, found in Scripture. God can remove the suffering or the affliction. Just in one whole fell swoop, it's gone. And there are different ways this can manifest itself and take place. Maybe you have a sickness and God heals you. Maybe you've got a broken relationship and it's restored. Mr. Welch has the testimony of praying for an oil leak and it stopped. There are those things that can just come along and happen. He might take us home to be with him. You know, we pray for someone who's got a maybe terminal cancer. Uh, Bruce Rogers, Lord, would you heal this man? And he may just one fell swoop heal him or he may take him home, which healed him. Maybe there's a problem and you need a solution. Hannah in the Bible wanted a baby. God blessed her with Samuel. Maybe there's circumstances that are causing suffering and God just changes the circumstances. Here is uh, Joseph. He's in the prison. God brings him out of the prison. Suffering over. So God can just, in a variety of ways, completely remove the affliction and suffering. And he does that. He doesn't have to do that, but that's one of the four ways he does so. Another way he can do it is he, like Job, can restore the reality of life on earth through affliction. Sometimes we get this thought of, hey, we live in America. Everything should be as we'd like. Palm trees and coconuts and little things with you know, drink specials. It should just be laid back in the sun, made in the shade, no problem. How about that, that for oxymortons? Made in the shade, in the sun, got all these things going on. But that's oftentimes our thought, right? This should, just, this should not be happening. We live in America. Our, this should be better than it is. And yet God kind of helps us see, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, you're on the other side of heaven. This isn't heaven yet. You're on the other side, and you're a journeyman through this. You're a sojourner through this side of heaven. 
and there's more to come. So he can remove the affliction. He can restore the reality of life on earth. Number three, he can re-energize a ministry of compassion. We're told in Romans 12 to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, be associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, Romans 12, 15 through 18. He can re-energize a ministry of compassion. Because if we're all going through suffering in life, it helps when you can go to a brother or sister in Christ and minister to them in their suffering because you've experienced some type of that suffering. Now, I, I want to take a small rabbit trail on this and talk about a little bit of a ministry of suffering, which we've already discussed a little bit and taking them to the Psalms. I would encourage you to do that. But some others have encouraged me to do this, and I would encourage you to do it. And that would be this thought, that as all of us are going through suffering, which is just a normal part of life, there's sometimes, and, and uh, I've been told not to do this in my counseling training and experienced it personally, there's a time when you're going to somebody to minister to them that you want to say one of these three phrases, and I think every one of us have said it, and it's probably coming out of a sincere heart. But I want to talk about it a little bit. And that would be something like this. Brother, I know what you're going through. Or maybe, I know what that's like. I've been right there. Or how about, you know, last week, I was going through the same thing. I know exactly what you're going through. And we have to be very careful when we say something like that. Because one of two things happens. Either number one, the person that you're speaking to is not helped in any way and they don't even know it. They're just thinking, yeah, I had this really, I had this conversation with Cody and he said, man, I, I know what you're going through, but I'm thinking, no, you don't. I, I still feel the same way. I didn't really get any encouragement out of that conversation. And you, and, and I, if I would do that, have missed an opportunity to help them, whether by the Psalms or something else that I could help them with. And they didn't even know it. And oftentimes this happens just out of a sincere heart. And we didn't even realize we missed an opportunity to help someone redirect their focus to Christ. The second thing that could happen would be the person that you're speaking with, if they're struggling maybe with a bitterness toward whatever they're going through, they're provoked to respond in a very uh, wrong manner. Maybe they, man, they're just thinking, man, Cody, what pride he has in his life that he would say, I know what you're going through. He has no clue what I'm going through. And all of a sudden, this relationship that was there gets, gets severed. Could, I, I could have had all the sincerity in the world to want to help them, and yet I was not um, very sensitive to where they were in that suffering and difficulty. And the truth of the matter is, no one knows what it's like. What somebody else is going through. I've got a different person. Every one of us have different personalities. Every one of us have different circumstances. I could go to someone and say, man, I'm, I'm, I know what you're going through. And it could be something that has to do with their job or stress in their job. And yet, my marriage is going okay over there. And they have just a horrendous time in their marriage right now. 
Well, suffering's multidimensional, so they've got aspects that I have no clue what they're dealing with. How about uh, pain tolerances are different? I don't know what it's like to have tonsils removed. Never had that. I do know what it's like to have wisdom teeth removed. So if I were you to go, go to you and you're telling me I'm going to have wisdom te- my wisdom teeth removed tomorrow, and I'm gonna, I would, here's my personal experience. I'm going to tell you, don't worry about it. No problem. I was up the next day water skiing. I was. It wasn't any problem to me. I didn't have all the impacted stuff. I just took them out and went out. And went. I wasn't going to miss a day of water skiing on the water. And... Obviously, there are some people who've had wisdom teeth. Man, you're down for days, and you look like a chipmunk, and it's hard. I wouldn't have any understanding. So if I was to go to you and say that, it isn't going to help you. I mean, there are different pain tolerances. We respond different way. There are individual walks with the Lord that are different. You could have a really strong one, and I could be weak over here. And it could be really hard for me where it's going to be easier for you because you've had a, a stronger walk with the Lord. I think the, the best thing to do when you're ministering to someone, um, a couple things would be misery loves company. I think it applies in this situation. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to be with them and, and just be there. You don't have to say anything. Just be there. Take them a meal. Um, drop by a note. Send them, a, send them some flowers. Uh, be a listening ear. Ask them questions. Anything like to talk about? No? Okay. Yeah. Just be there for them sometimes. That can be one of the greatest ministries, just knowing that someone knows you're going through something difficult and they're just going to be there for you. They're just going to sit with you and sip coffee or whatever is going to happen there. Pray with them. Encourage them. And how the Lord encouraged you through a time of suffering, which is vastly different than saying, hey, I know what you're going through. But you can say, now the Lord took me through a time and this is what he showed me. And you might be encouraged by that as well. Let the Lord do that encouraging. Uh, Take them to the Psalms. Surprise them with a meal. Take them on a picnic lunch. But I would encourage us not to cut cut ourselves short by simply saying, I know what you're going through. Really, let's seize upon those opportunities. And, And this happens all the time in churches. And it happens in our church, you know. You go up to somebody, shake hands afterward. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Oh, great. You go to the next person. Hey, that, that was an opportunity. Unless someone says, man, I just had the most fantastic week. It's more than likely they've had something going through and there's something weighing on them. And you, God's brought you into their life for the specific ability to be able to minister to them this time of suffering. Seize on that. Seize on that. We've been looking at how can God deliver us through suffering. Took a massive right turn. Uh, we've got how he can remove the affliction, he can restore the reality of life, he can re-energize the ministry of compassion, and then the fourth one I had was, he can remind us who he is and his agenda through affliction. Paul had this, he had the thorn in the flesh, Job, the Israelites were at the Red Sea, couldn't cross, God reminds them who he is and his agenda. And obviously, this is the ultimate goal, as they're all multi-dimensional, suffering's multidimensional, so are the, the remedies or the deliverances. This is the ultimate goal. But it is very much a two-part goal, and we've got to understand that. Part number one is who he is, and part number two is his agenda. So you may be sitting there thinking, Lord, I have suffered, and am suffering, and my walk with you has gone from, you know, Level 1 to level 10 over the past six months. 
And my understanding of your character and who you are and my love for you has gone from here to here. So why isn't this suffering over if you want me to know who you are? Part two, his agenda. He may want you to go through this time so you can have a ministry of compassion. Or maybe he wants you to go over here so that you can uh, help others realize the realities of life on earth. Fanny Crosby had this, uh, had this as her witness. She says, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. She became blind due to someone else's negligence. when She was just a, a wee baby and they put some mustard on her eyes. She goes blind and she's blind for the rest of her life. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. Now, could God have healed Fanny Crosby? Yes, and he does that. There's times when just unexplainable to the medical community when God does something like that. But he wanted her to have a different ministry. And yet, we've got to understand that as God is seeking through suffering to show us himself and his agenda, don't get caught up in thinking, well, once I know about him more, it'll be over. It might, but he also might want you to see his agenda, which is there's other things involved just than you. Last question that we would have this morning is what assurance, this is the culmination here, what assurance do we have that God is aware of our suffering and working upon our behalf? That is really the question. And I mentioned earlier that we have four statements with corresponding requests in these eight verses. And we looked at them, for I do not forget your law. Give me life according to your promise. Give me life according to your rules. Give me life according to your steadfast love. All of them being interconnected. And if you look at Psalm 119, look at the verse. This is the, this is the verse that, that, that ties it all together, which is 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Now, that holds, the question, that holds the answer to the question. What assurance do we have that God is aware of our suffering and working upon our behalf? I have no understanding of the Hebrew or Greek language. And the best I can do is to type in a word in the strongest concordance and it comes up and then you struggle. Then you go somewhere else on the internet and figure out how actually to pronounce that word. Um, so I don't know much about it. But I do know it's a valuable resource. And here in 159 is a word that brings all of this together. And it's the Hebrew word for steadfast love. The Hebrew word for steadfast love. I want you to write it down. If you write in your Bible, I encourage you to write it down. And it's this word of hesed. And I'm not pronouncing it right. I don't have the ability to kind of get back in my throat like you would if you spoke the Hebrew language. But it's H-E-S-E-D. H-E-S-E-D. And it is, a, it is a truth that encompasses all of Scripture and ties in this thought of what assurance do we have. Hesed. Now, it is translated um, in different ways 
due to different Bible translations, they translate it different ways. And it's because there's no English equivalent. So it's very difficult for any Bible translator to say, yep, this one is, you know, for sure this certain word. So they translate it stuff as kindness. It might be translated in your Bible as faithfulness or mercy or goodness or loyalty or steadfast love or loyal love. It's translated in different ways. Now, that doesn't mean you just can go find the word mercy in your Bible, and that's the Hebrew word hesed. That's not the case, but at times, that is the word. Now, what does that mean? Well, Ian Duguid, a pastor who writes for Ligonier, I think helps us understand this, and here's what he says. Normally, hesed describes something that happens within an existing relationship. Now, watch this. Something that happens within an existing relationship, whether between two human beings or between God and man. In human relationships, hesed implies loving our neighbor. Not merely in terms of warm emotional feelings, but in acts of love and service that we owe to the other person simply because he is part of the covenant community. God's people, Micah 6.8, are to do justly, to love mercy, there's hesed, and to walk humbly with their God. He also goes on to say, yet the most precious use of the word hesed in the Old Testament, and it's in the New, obviously in the Greek, is as a description of what God does. Having entered into a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself now focus on that. God has bound himself. He has, he has tied himself and is unable to break that. He has bound himself to act toward us in certain ways and he is utterly faithful to his self-commitment. Now, the psalmist says things in here like, look on my affliction, plead my cause, Give me life. For those who are in sin that are believers, you have the right to plead the Hesed relationship with God. Not because of something you've done, but because of the covenant that God has entered into with you. He has to fulfill His covenant. And it's not just he has to fulfill it in a warm and emotional fuzzy. He has to do something. He has to act upon his relationship with you. Which is why the psalmist says, four times just about in this passage, give me life. And you say, how in the world can you demand of God to give you something? You can because it's part of the hesed relationship that God has entered into. In its truest sense, this gives those that belong to God the right to call upon the Father to reciprocate our love for Him, obviously reciprocating it by His grace that was given to us by the cross. Micah 6.8, to reciprocate this love to us. Hesed has a very concrete component to it. It's got something you can feel. It's not commitment without action. And this is, this is well described in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here we have two men walk along. They see a gentleman. Eh, they didn't fulfill Hesed. Here's this other gentleman who walks along and goes, 
I'm going to, as a fellow man, not just say, oh, poor guy, bet that hurt, but to actually go over there and help him and, and fulfill this action of love. God, God did not, does not just know what we're going through. We can be assured that he's acting on our behalf. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, he, he suffered for us, setting us an example. He knows what we've been through because he's been through the same thing, which we've looked at. I want you to look at one, Psalm 136 for me. We're almost done here. Psalm 136. And I had you, if you were here um, during the prelude, read this. But I want you to see uh, this loyal love that we have that can assure us that God knows what we're going through and is working upon our behalf. And this, this Hebrew word hesed is what you see at the end of every verse in Psalm 136. And this is, uh, and, and it would be an excellent study to go through here and note what God does, the action he takes. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's hesed. Give thanks to the God of God. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To him alone who does great wonders. To him by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. Notice how many action things are happening here. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Brought Israel out from among them. Strong hand, outstretched arm. Divided the Red Sea in two. Made Israel pass through the midst of it. Overthrew Pharaoh, led his people through the wilderness, struck down great kings, killed mighty kings. On and on and on. You see God working upon the behalf of his people. Not because of what his people have done. But because of what he has done. And if he has called you to himself in Christ, you are able to go and plead before him, you're suffering. And it's not as if he's saying, I know, I've been there. But he's saying, I've been there and I'm with you now. And I'm walking you through this. And I'm orchestrating all these events over here that you cannot see for your good. And then, you, then you're able with the psalmist to look at Psalm 119, 160 and say, Ah, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You go to Romans 8, 28, go all things work together for good because 29 is conforming us to the image of his son. This is, this is, this is that hesed love. When you understand this, it revolutionizes the way you approach God. Not as just some deity in which you have no relationship. There's a relationship. There's such a strong relationship, no matter what you do in this relationship, which as we've talk, been talking about on Tuesday and Thursday and uh, even this Sunday morning, that doesn't give you the freedom or the justification to do whatever you want to do. But when you, in the course of life, fall or slip, His, his covenant, his, his actions upon your life do not and cannot change. The, the only way I could think of any um, example to possibly give us the feeling that this has had love is, and, and it's, 
it's obviously not in its completion and it falls short as all examples do when you're talking about God but it would be of your um, of your favorite family doctor and I've got one uh, here in town uh, in fact the doctor who delivered me I was best friends with his son for years Steve Asley in, in uh, New Braunfels just passed away he, he was the same person from my mom you could just call him on the phone they didn't have texting then I just text him and say hey you know, Annalise is suffering with asthma. Oh, great. Called in, go get it. Don't even have to go to the... It's kind of this relationship that you have. Well, Dr. Eden here in town is my doctor, and he cares... Here's where the, obviously the, the analogy falls apart, but he cares enough for me that if I'm sick or if I don't contact him, he wants to know. He wants to know, how can I help you? And, hey, yep. You should have done this and this and this and this and you didn't. But you know what? I'm still going to help you. Help you get over whatever you've gotten yourself into. These things. This, this is, this is that, the warm feeling you get when you have someone care for you. That, I mean, magnify that by eternity. And that is the way God deals with us. You messed up again. But guess what? I'm here. And I'm, I'm working upon your back. Yep, you got yourself into some suffering because of your personal sin. But I'm still working to use that. And I'm going to care for you through this. It, it's really an unfathomable concept. This concept of hesed. This faith, covenant faithfulness that God has with us. Um, this, there's many people who, who tried to grasp this. We sang it in first light this morning. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart, sing thy praise. Streams of mercy, there's hesed, never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. That would be, that ties this together. Really, you can go to God and plead and request and even demand God. And notice, he may not remove it. We've already talked about four ways God, God delivers or rescues from affliction. But he may, he, he's there. And he may just lessen it simply by you realizing once again, oh, God loves me. And that can just take the edge off, which is just what you need during that moment. In closing, one point. I only have one point for application. Just one. And that would be this. If you want to apply this uh, understanding of who God is and, and this uh, ministry of suffering, or uh, if you're going through suffering, this is just one thing I would encourage you to do. You don't have to do anything. You could list many, but I'm only going to give you one. That would be this. I would charge you and encourage you to take as many creative steps as possible to remember God, His promises, and His faithfulness recently and in the past in your life. Do whatever you got to do. To remember God, His faithfulness now, His promises, and His faithfulness in the past. When Chandler was going through his potential uh, tumor in his knee and we were struggling with, what do we do? There was a family in our church that came and decorated, and they're still there more than a year later, decorated our walls with big posters of Scripture. That helped us remember the faithfulness of God and who He was, and that gets you through those situations. Many of you remember the Beals, and they spoke one time in uh, First Light, and they took and plastered on the um, whiteboard all these paper rocks that they had created that were their stones of remembrance of things God had done. Uh, that's why people, some people journal 
or you do a thanksgiving list, or you have accountability, or you have scripture memory, whatever, take as many creative steps as possible, but take them that you might remember God's faithfulness and what he has done in your life in the past and now. Because if you can do that, if you can do that, that will, number one, give you the ability to communicate to others. And number two, it, it takes the edge off that suffering. Because you remember the covenant relationship, that Hesed relationship that God has with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, this morning. And we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I thank you for the body and their, their patience as we've gone long this morning. But we're grateful, Father, for the truths here. And I pray that we would not forget and we would, you would give us even greater understanding of this relationship that you have with us. This steadfast love that gives us life. Not because we deserve it, but because you've been bound to do so by the relationship that you've created through your son Jesus Christ. We, we have no understanding. We cannot fathom that. And yet it's there. And it's a gift. And you've called us to use it. So may we be faithful in, in looking to you for our answers and going to you with our concerns and pleading for you to deliver when under difficult times in life. And I pray, Father, for those that are here. As we've noted, we all go through times of suffering. and There may be some that are going through more than others. I know there are those that are going through diff- very difficult times right now. And there are probably many that, we, that are going through and that we don't know. And yet I pray, Father, that this understanding of who you are and the relationship that you have with them would very much minister to them during this time of difficulty. Thank you and praise you for your goodness to us and your opening of our eyes to the truth of Scripture. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.